The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. How do GI cells regulate immune function? I'm sure some of you have heard that 80 plus percent of your immune tissue is situated in your digestive tract. So that basically means over 80%, 80 or over 80% of your immune function is regulated in your gut. So if that's the case, then potentially or ostensibly what you eat affects your immunity because what you eat goes through your gut. And if your gut accounts for 80% of your immunity, then what you eat accounts for 80% of your immunity and therefore affects your immunity. The gut has been called the cornerstone of the immune system. I love that. Intestines actually form a protective barrier and they form a protective barrier between the bloodstream and the external world. And that external world is everything you ingest, and I would argue everything that you actually put on your body, lotions, potions, perfumes, all that stuff. So what's inside your gut is actually outside of your body because it came from the outside, entered into your mouth, and then traveled throughout the digestive tract. So what is actually inside your gut really represents what's outside your body. And this gives even more meaning to the concept of beauty inside and out. I know when I first came up with that sort of tagline or at least the philosophy for my practice, beauty inside and out, everyone kept thinking, oh, yeah, that's cute, whatever. It doesn't really mean anything, but it really means a lot. And I may have been before my time or just simply crazy, (laughs) but I believe in that to this day, beauty inside and out. So because the gut has to deal with potential toxins and pathogens in everything you put into and onto your body, it needs to have an effective immune system in and of itself and for the entire body. And it needs to have that immune system in place to neutralize those harmful substances and, in, and bugs and bad bacteria, et cetera, to prevent illness and to prevent dis-ease as well as disease. So that the digestion or the gastrointestinal tract has specialized tissue and cells that protect protect against all this infection and all these bad bacteria. The gut is also where colonies of good bacteria live, and those are collectively called the flora, as was mentioned in a previous podcast, or the microbiome. And they live in the gut to form a strategic defense against bad bacteria and to prevent the attackers from being absorbed. And they also augment the action of the immune cells. So they work together with the immune cells. And this is a dynamic and intentional interplay between the microorganisms in your intestine and the immune cells of your body to help keep you, obviously, fierce and flawless. If any part of this ecosystem, 
whether it's your bloodstream cells, your immune cells, or your microbiome, if any part of that ecosystem is dysfunctional, you will feel it and you will most definitely look it, is my argument. So frankly, without the right balance of the gut flora, your body cannot maintain good health or good looks, in my opinion. And that is the essence of the microbiome. It really just helps to keep everything, every function of your body, every physiological mechanism of the body functioning properly for your health. So the microbiome has been defined as consisting of one of 10 to 100 trillion cells. Each person has 10 to 100 trillion cells, and they're primarily bacteria in the gut. The human microbiome consists collectively of the genes of these cells. All of this begs the question, what is it to be human? And to be human, according to how I see it, is frankly to be in community with trillions of microorganisms, bacteria, fungus, protozoa, viruses, etc. We really are in communion with this community of microbacteria. So everything that is special about you you may think is really about you and your cells and your tissues, but really it may have a lot more to do with the types of bacteria and fungus and protozoa and viruses that you as a specific unique individual harbor. Speaking of human, what is the human genome project? And this is, I mentioned this because it's really very fascinating that the work that this incredible team has um, discovered. And basically the human genome project was an international scientific research project. And it had the goal of determining the sequence of the structures of that make up the human DNA. And it also had the charge of identifying and mapping all of the genes of the human genome from both a physical and a functional standpoint. It remains the largest collaborative biological project that formally launched, and it launched in 1990. So one of the surprises of the Human Genome Project was that the human genome actually only contains only 20 to 25,000 protein-coding genes. So if our DNA is really only 20 to 25,000 genes or protein coding genes, but I just mentioned that we have 10 to 100 trillion microorganisms. We basically have about 10 times as many microbial, microbial cells that we have human cells. So frankly, we're more microorganism than we are human. <laughs> there are some people who are definitely more microorganism than they are human, but I'm going to be nice. So the gut microbiome plays a key role in regulating the optimal degree of response to exercise that is required to stimulate the, you know, the desired adaptive changes. So hear me out. Your microbiome and how well it is functioning will have a lot to do with your response to exercise and whether or not that exercise is yielding or resulting in the results that you are so working, you are working so hard to achieve. So even if you work out like a fiend, but your gut is not right, then you may not see the changes that you're working so hard for. I mean, I think that's deep because I've definitely had moments in my life where I've worked out like a fiend and I just can't seem to lose that last five or seven pounds. And I was eating the same, nothing really changed, but perhaps I really wasn't eating as cleanly or as well as I should have been to get the results that I wanted to get. Okay, 
So to further increase the complexity of this microbiome and the 10 to 100 trillion cells that we have, your gut has a microbiome and so does your skin. So the skin microbiome in and of itself is made up of the same types of microorganisms, bacteria, fungi, viruses, protozoa, etc. But they're programmed a little bit differently from the, from the microbiome in the, in the gut. The skin, as we know, is the largest organ in the body. And like the gut, it is colonized by these a diverse flora, diverse microbiome, microorganisms. But the colonization of these microorganisms on the skin is affected by the nature of the skin surface. So it's basically highly dependent on the location on the body. So your skin microbiome will be different from the gut microbiome, which may be different from another microbiome. And that is highly dependent also on external factors. The skin is also home to trillions of immune cells that interact with the rest of the immune system. And just like the bacteria in the gut, they comprise a valuable part of the immune system. And again, like cells in the gut, the skin is a constant dialogue between the immune cells and the body's mm, bacteria. So there's a constant conversation going on. Your body, your skin, or your gut, they're interacting with the outside environment and they're constantly having to figure out, is this good? Is this bad? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to manage this? How am I going to regulate it? So this is active and dynamic and it's going on 24-7. All of this is to say that what you put into your body and what you put on your body will affect your immune system. And the pathways to this will affect the digestive tract. So is it something that you see? Is it something that you feel? I mean, does it make you feel complete and total when you think about, you know, food and what you're putting on your body, um, inside and out, up and down? Do, Do you have an absolute respect now for what you're putting into your body and what you're putting onto your body and the beauty and the intelligence that actually lies within you. So frankly, a lot of what you may be experiencing in terms of ill effects or symptoms may not really have to do with an organ dysfunction per se. It might have basically to do with how you're eating and what you're putting into your body. Very interesting. I'm frankly in awe. I love the human body. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I think that's one of the reasons why I went into medicine, to try to understand it as much as I can, because I love it. So food is medicine. And Hippocrates uh, actually said, let food be your medicine. And today, I think this, um, this quote by Hippocrates serves as a potent call to action, for us to live a healthier life by having a healthier gut. And it's through a healthier gut that you can have a beautiful life. Dr. James Gordon is the founder and director of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. And in his six basic principles of using food as medicine, he states, number one, eat in harmony with your genetic program. Now, not all of us may have access to DNA testing and genetic, our genetic codes. And there's some countries that allow it, some countries don't allow it. And even within the United States, there are some states in which genetic testing is permissible and there are some states in which it is not. But I think the best that you can do is perhaps get food allergy testing. And there may also be some very inexpensive tests because genetic testing can be very expensive. But there may be some genetic tests that are available that are inexpensive and that only test a limited number of genes and proteins. 
And that may help to determine whether or not you can ca metabolize caffeine, whether or not you can metabolize carbohydrates efficiently, etc. So do the best that you can and perhaps work with a nutritionist or work with your physician to figure out how you can best eat according to your genetic programming. Number two, according to Dr. James Gordon, use foods rather than supplements to treat and prevent chronic illness. But, and I'm adding this but, <laughs> if your diet is lacking in nutrition or lacking in nutrients, I would add supplements as a secondary source, even though whole food is primary. I mean, lots of us have very busy modern lives and sometimes we don't get to get our several cups of greens in a day. And sometimes I have to substitute supplements for that. And I think that's okay. Number three, combine your nutritional plan with a program to reduce stress. So I mentioned in an earlier podcast that oxidative stress is one of the things that can disrupt or one of the processes that can disrupt digestion. And a disruptive digestion we know can lead to all sorts of havoc. So cortisol is a sign of elevated stress. So even if you are eating well, if you are very stressed and you have high elevate or high uh, cortisol levels, then the two kind of cancel each other out and you don't really get the, the benefits of eating well. So if you are going to eat well, then it definitely behooves you to also find a program to reduce your stress, to reduce your cortisol levels so everything can work together. Number four, understand that we are all biochemically unique. So just because you get strong, you know, bones and tissues from milk doesn't mean that I can get strong bones from milk. Just because you love gluten doesn't mean that I could have gluten. So understand that not all diets will work for the same people, for everyone. Not all of the, you know, nutritional recommendations will work for the same people. We are all biochemically and biologically unique and you should treat your food and nutrition as such. Number five. Find a health professional who will help you to begin the treatment of chronic conditions if you have any, but who will treat those chronic conditions first and foremost with nutrition and stress management as well as exercise. I would add that medications should be used as needed after or concomitantly with diet, stress management, and exercise, of course, if you need them. And number six, don't become a food fanatic because that can lead to stress. I think we all know the definition of anorexia, but there's actually another definition called orthorexia. And orth orthorexia is an obsession with eating foods that one perceives to be healthy. <laughs> I may have had a moment of orthorexia <laughs> briefly because I, I was just like, no, I can't have this and I can't have that, but I've relaxed and I, I'm not orthorexic. So after all of this talk about food as medicine, what can we possibly eat? Which diet should you follow? I won't tell you what diet to live by. I have my own thoughts um, and ideas and um, for myself and also what I prescribe for my patients before surgery and after surgery. But for the edutainment purposes of this podcast, I will, however, discuss a number of foods that I think may potentially be harmful or helpful or beneficial and in general so that you can eat your way to a more beautiful life. Studies have shown that diets such as the Mediterranean diet and plant-based diets have actually led to a reduced glycemic load, reduced oxidative stress, reduced inflammation, and therefore less chances of having chronic disease and illness. That said, in general, 
The foods that I would specifically avoid and that I try to in my life are processed foods. Although an occasional truffle potato chip really is, you know, it just has to happen. Anyway, so if you can, as much as you can, avoid processed foods, dairy, excessive sugar, fried foods, simple carbohydrates, artificial sweeteners, excess alcohol. Now, you know, the alcohol is a tricky one because I know since I am of... Um, partially French descent, I know that, you know, the two glasses of wine a day have actually been shown to increase antioxidants and be helpful to your health. But I'm just saying, if you don't ascribe to that, avoid it altogether. But if you do ascribe to that, then limit your alcohol intake. Also avoid fruit juice, processed fruit juice, because that has increased sugar. Please avoid soda. I, I don't know any beneficial merits of soda at all. That's also just all sugar. And definitely avoid trans fats because that they cause inflammation. In general, then, what specifically can you eat or is good to eat? What are the beauty foods and their effects? Now, I, the foods that I'm about to mention, I really consider them more beauty foods. And of course, they're whole and um, ideally go fresh. And if you can tolerate these, assuming you don't have an allergy, a food allergy to any of, the, any of these, then I would recommend the following. So first and foremost, water. Even if you don't like the taste of water, try to find one that you like and drink at least 1.5 to 2 liters of water a day. And yes, you may have to go to the loo often, but it's worth it. I've mentioned in a previous podcast a book called You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty by a doctor whose last name is very long and I would not be able to pronounce it correctly. But that book really um, re-emphasized to me the importance of water. We are actually, our bodies are mostly made of water. And in order to help keep the body functioning properly, including digestion, and to keep things moving along, and we all know how important that is, then you should drink a lot of water, 1.5 to 2 liters a day. What other foods can you eat, beauty foods? Again, assuming you can tolerate these and that you're not allergic, salmon. It's rich in antioxidants and it calms inflammation. Watermelon. There's a high concentration of water in watermelon, and it can actually reduce the water retention associated with puffy eyes. Green tea. Green tea has polyphenols, and it makes it an antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Tomatoes. Tomatoes are rich in lycopene, and that's a potent antioxidant to protect the skin from UV damage. Also, fruits and vegetables that are similar in color to that of the sun, actually, I read once, can help to serve as internal sunscreen. I think that's really sexy. I'm not sure if it's completely scientifically true, but I like the idea of it, and it's not going to hurt. You're just eating carrots, for crying out loud. Tomatoes, okay, lycopene. Carrots, high levels of beta-carotene, and beta-carotene is a precursor to vitamin A, and that has been found to decrease the skin's oil production. As a matter of fact, Accutane, the medic medication, is all primarily high-dose vitamin A. So why get it from a prescription? Get it naturally. Okay, carrots. Avocado also contains vitamins A and D and E and also good fats and phytonutrients. Olive oil, quintessential to the Mediterranean diet, but on, on its own, it's an antioxidant. It also contains polyphenols and that could potentially quench the damaging free radicals that were discussed in a previous podcast. Walnuts actually help to amp up collagen production and uh, they're also high in omega-3 fatty acids. Strawberries, red peppers, grapefruit, oranges, all those contain high levels of vitamin C, and vitamin C is involved in collagen formation, so vitamin C helps to reduce wrinkling. Kale, 
That's rich in vitamin A. And vitamin A is an antioxidant and it promotes healthy skin turnover. Eggs. The amino acids in eggs help provide the building blocks of, again, collagen production along with vitamin C. Sunflower oil. That's high in an acid called linoleic acid. And that can help support your skin cell membranes and it may also help to reduce inflammation. Yellow and green peppers are packed with carotenoids, and that's another antioxidant that decreases sun sensitivity. Like I said, yellow peppers, yellow is the color of the sun. And it also diminishes the appearance of fine lines around the eyes and crow's feet. It doesn't have the same effect as Botox or Dysport or Xeomin, folks, I'm just saying. For those of you who are not into those types of injections, then eat lots of <laughs> yellow peppers. <laughs> Berries, protective antioxidants that shield your skin from free radicals. Broccoli also has vitamins A and C, and those are also antioxidants that support collagen production. There's also vitamin K in broccoli, and that speeds up the healing of bruises and may help to improve dark circles under the eyes. Sardines have omega-3 fatty acids, and they reduce inflammation and may be helpful in acne. Dark chocolate, my favorite, they contain flavonoids. And those are very potent antioxidants. And any chocolate less than 70% cacao is probably not great. So try to have dark chocolate that is 70% plus cacao. Greek yogurt is great for banishing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. It's also rich in B vitamins, and that helps to detox the skin. Pomegranates also contain polyphenols, and they fight free radicals and help to regulate the skin's blood flow, and that gives it a nice, healthy glow. Kidney beans are very rich in zinc, and that has high healing properties and the ability to fight acne. If you eat meat, please eat grass-fed beef. Not only does the grass-fed beef contain a higher ratio of omega-3 fatty acids to omega-6 fatty acids, and that reduces inflammation, but it's also packed with nearly 30 grams of protein per ounce, and that's per three, I'm sorry, per 3.5 ounce serving. And protein is the building blocks of collagen and elastin, and that helps to keep the skin taut and less wrinkled. Herbs. Herbs. Consuming four or more herbs regularly, like rosemary and thyme, actually serve as antioxidants. Soy. A small study of middle-aged Japanese women found that women, those women who consumed 40 milligrams of the isoflavone found in soy called aglycone, they had fewer lines and improved skin elasticity within 12 weeks compared to placebo or the women who didn't have that. So basically, you'll find about 40 milligrams of those isoflavones in three ounces of tempeh or one ounce of dry roasted soybeans or six ounces of tofu. Oysters, which I love, they contain lots of zinc. They help to heal acne as well as can be antiviral. Cooked pumpkin is one of the top sources of beta carotene, and the body converts beta carotene into vitamin A, which is also important for the skin and the growth of skin cells. Red wine, as we were talking about the French secret. Red wine is a top source of resveratrol, and that's an antioxidant compound with anti-tumor properties. In moderation, however, sunflower seeds are rich in vitamin E, and that's thought to enhance the immune function, and that allows the body to fight off inflammation that leads to acne. Mackerel, the fish, is a source of vitamin B12, but it can help keep your skin even toned. But you also have to be very careful about the amount of fish that you eat for fear of toxic exposure to mercury. Chickpeas are low on the glycemic index since they're rich in protein and fiber. And they contain two nutrients that slow down digestion and lower the blood sugar response. But slow down digestion in a good way so that the food 
is there and is broken down appropriately so you can actually get the benefits of proper nutrient absorption. So overall, I know I mentioned a lot, a long list of foods, and again, they may not apply to everyone. But in general, if you're not sure what to do, you don't have access to a nutritionist or a physician or someone who's going to help you feel your most fabulous self and your most beautiful self through diet, nutrition, and stress management first, then maybe you can use that list as a starting point. So choose your food wisely because as you just heard, the food will, that you choose will affect your mood, your immune system, your ability to fight infection, and your face, among other things. Clean food is indeed without question medicine. Choose whole food. Choose organic if possible. Choose fresh food. Choose real food. Keep it real. So in summary, we are not alone. We now understand that what it is to be human involves an intricate and delicate balance among trillions of microorganisms that help to direct numerous functions of the body, including digestion, immune, immunity, cognition, and more. To feed this machine, our bodies, this ecosystem, and to feed it sustainably and well is what will greatly make the difference between illness and wellness, health and disease. So honor your temple. That leads to this week's Fab Five. This week's Fab Five are, number one, honor your temple, pamper and protect your gut. It will pay you back in spades. Number two, consult with a nutritionist, physician, or health coach to help determine the best nutrition for you, and that you is in caps. Number three, food is medicine. Feed your body and your brain the proper nutrients they need to keep you well. Number four, water heals. Drink 1.5 to 2 liters per day. And number five, muscle action helps move things along. Exercise regularly to keep your muscles healthy enough to help ensure adequate waste elimination. Because again, there are muscles in those intestines. And if you don't, you may look like, shoot, So that's it in brief on beauty and nutrition, fierce and flawless. Thank you for listening to this week's Forever Fab podcast. Until next time, stay beautiful inside and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.